Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. What is up, everybody? Good to see you. If you're new to our church, my name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today over the next few moments. And we always want to celebrate when we get started, and uh, really excited to tell you our missions team got home last night, and uh, we sent a group down to Costa Rica. And through their ministry, literally dozens of people came to Christ through the ministry that they were doing in Costa Rica, uh, as well as if there's, there's some people in this room that a couple years ago, uh, we sent teams of men down to Costa Rica every week for months. We sent four or five guys from our church every week, and they would go down there and help build what became Camp BT, Camp Buena Tierra. And uh, yeah, we're sent, who was in here? You went on that, those trips. This was a few years ago, back pre-COVID. And, uh, well, they were able to stay and use that as a ministry base uh, down there because of your building, which also comes from your giving. And so thank you, thank you, thank you, Arise, and super excited for what God did through our Costa Rica missions trip that just got back. Man. So Aiden and I have been on vacation for two weeks. Uh, it was awesome. It was fun. Uh, like 6,000 people this morning has already asked me, how was vacation? So I'm going to answer for all of you right now. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was good. And uh, one of the things we did, um, uh, because we're novices and we should know better, but um, back last Christmas, we bought Disney passes for the kids uh, for Christmas, and uh, for the whole family, really, for Christmas. And um, we, we've never done that before. We're not like Disney people, right? We're not like, some people like, Madonna is a Disney person. <laughs> like, if you say anything negative about Disney, she's going to throw stones at you. We're not, we're not a Disney family. We just thought, all right, the kids are the right ages. It might be kind of fun. Let's do something different this year. Let's do Disney. Little did I know that going to Disney in July is pretty much like going to hell on earth. Man, you can, you can turn into a water puddle in the line that you're waiting for six hours to get on something the last 30 seconds. And, uh, but we went to Disney a few times, and um, one, of the roads, one, of the roads, one of the rides that we rode um, while we were there uh, uh, is at Hollywood Studios. It's called Rise of the Resistance. It's the Star Wars Rise of the Resistance. How many of you have ridden Rise of the Resistance? Okay, I'm glad because in first service it was like nobody, you know, because it's like maybe a little bit older in first service and they didn't. I'm glad some of y'all in this room have ridden it. It is amazing, y'all. Rise of the Resistance is an awesome ride. Um, and I'm not even a Star Wars guy. And, uh, uh, but when you go in there and it's like in three different things, it's not even a ride, it's more of an experience. Which, by the way, there's a new Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy ride, which is awesome too. Um, but the Rise of the Resistance is more like an experience. If you don't, like, like it's worth the payment. I'm not sure it's worth going in July. But it's worth buying the tickets. Just go ride Rise of the Resistance at Hollywood Studios. It's amazing. It's, it's awesome. But the whole kind of idea behind it, because in that part of Star Wars, and I had to ask my 11-year-old son last night to explain it to me because I'm not a Star Wars guy. He is. Uh, but so I asked Elijah, I said, explain to me who we are resisting from. And he said, we're resisting from the First Order. So, okay, that's like the, the bad government, right? It's, it's the, uh, and so it's the first order and we're resisting, which made me kind of think about this. There is a first order that you were born into and you are born into sin and it becomes your nature from birth to want to sin. You, you become naturally selfish. You become naturally prideful. Life becomes about you, not others. It's human nature. You're like, you're like those uh, birds on Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. You don't have to teach a child to say mine, right? You don't have to teach a child not to share. You have to teach them to share. It's born into you. You're born into sin. And it becomes your first nature. 
But then if you've experienced a a salvation experience with Christ, a, a rebirth with Christ, then you are now reborn and given a new nature. And the new nature is not a selfish nature. It's actually a a nature that's like that of Christ. And so now you have competing natures within you. Anybody ever notice that? The old cartoons would would kind of put, uh, you know, an angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other. And they fired each other and, and argue. And you end up with competing natures inside of you. And so the good you want to do, you don't always do. And the bad that you don't want to do, sometimes you end up doing. And if that sounds like you, you're in good company because the Apostle Paul said those words. And so... Happens to all of us. So we're born in this first order of of life. But then we have this resistance that should be happening. The rise of the resistance. Y'all see how I'm pulling that together? It's preacher stuff. The rise of the resistance. So we have a resistance to our first nature that should be rising up inside of us. Otherwise, in fact, that's really one of the, the ways you can tell whether you're saved or not. How much are you resisting the old nature? If you are no longer resisting the old nature, I'm going to question whether a, a true work of rebirth has ever happened in you. Okay? And so, am I resisting the old nature? And so it ends up with a battle going on inside of us. And we call this battle sometimes, especially as Christians, we call this battle temptation. Temptation. So how do you handle temptation? Like something I don't want to do that I'm being tempted to do. How do you handle that? Well, that's where we pick up in the book of James, we're in this series called Back to Basics. We're kind of doing summer school, but if we called it summer school, nobody would show up. <laughs> in this series called Back to Basics, where we're going back to some essential things, and there's no better place to look than the book of James. And so all month for five weeks, we are studying the book of James, if you haven't figured that out yet. And uh, James is an awesome book. It's the, it's the half-brother of Jesus. They had different fathers. Just making sure we're on the same page. The half-brother of Jesus. And uh, he's the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, James is, is probably the coolest book in the New Testament. It's the most manly book in the New Testament. Uh, most men like the book of James because James, like, like there's no fluff. There's no like, like, it's just like to the point, punch you in the face, every verse, like just get it out of the way. This is coming at me. Like men generally like the book of James, right? There ain't no backstory there. Like literally the first verses of the, the first chapter, like you could tweet almost every verse, like it stands alone. And so... Men usually like the book of James. Um, and, and even though it's few in chapter, it is powerful in impact. And, and uh, so the book of James, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, is leading the church in Jerusalem, which at the time is the largest church on planet Earth. And he's leading this church and he's teaching people how to handle temptation. And so in chapter 4, uh, he's teaching them how to handle temptation. And, and we find in verses uh, uh, 7 through 10 how to handle temptation. What are we going to do? So let's go there. Uh, he says to submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many of you know that verse? You've quoted that a time or two. Okay, good. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I bet you didn't quote that one this morning. Let's put that on the door mantle above our house. Let's put that on the mat where you walk in. Give mourning, <laughs> grieve mourning well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. All right, so I got to give you some, a little bit of background in order to make this make sense because there's type A people in this room that you've already got your notes out. You've already got your pen in your hand and you are ready to take notes. Let me tell you backstory of what happens in our church. 
Whenever I am speaking at a location, generally I write a sermon and then I send it a week or more in advance to another person who's going to preach it at the other location. That person at the other location will then take the sermon and put it into their words, their stories, their metaphors so that it's relevant to them. But the message itself stays mostly the same. The same points, the same key thoughts stays the same. That's how we get away with not video broadcasting to other churches. We don't feel like that's the way we want to do it. And so that way you still get the same message just through a different mouthpiece. And so 99% of the time when I'm speaking, I send the message to somebody else in advance. And, and even when I'm not doing that, I still plan out the messages. So months in advance, I will sit down with the Lord and say, what do you want us to speak about? And we'll know what we're speaking about months and, and really a year in advance in some cases. That's what goes on behind the scenes. Um, but Pastor Brent was lazy. <coughs> and uh, I told Pete, Pastor Pete, because I always write it for Pastor Pete. He preaches in the South Shore usually. I told Pastor Pete, I said, you write the message this time because I'm on vacation for two weeks. You write the message and I'll come back and then I'll turn it into mine. We'll just switch sides, right? You write it. I'm going to turn it into mine. Y'all with me? Y'all still love me, right? I'm just being honest. It's my couch confessional. Um, so I said, you write it. And then I'll, and so he wrote it. It was awesome, man. It's really good. It's a great message. I'm reading through it. I'm like, it's good stuff. And then I, I started spending some time yesterday because I got back from vacation and started spending some time with the Lord yesterday. And the Lord just started like throwing like new stuff at me and different stuff at me. And, um, and I'm like, God, but, but we already have it printed on the back of the worship guides. I mean, come on. Can Pastor Pete not hear from God like you're speaking to me? I'm, that's a joke. That's a joke. Love you, Pastor Pete, when you watch this. Um, and so, um, so what happened was, uh, yesterday God just started redefining this message. So I will give you some of the notes from the back of your worship guide just to make some of you happy. But we're going to take this in a different direction. We're going to take this in a different direction. How many of you have ever had temptations that seem stronger than you are? Okay, that's everybody you should be. Temptations can be incredibly, incredibly strong. And I think the actual answer to how you handle temptation is in this verse, but not in the place that we typically look. In fact, I would say that right in the middle of this passage as he's writing, he says these words, He will come near you. He will, if you come near him, he will come near you. And I'm sitting in my office yesterday and I'm pondering this and processing it. And, and the Holy Spirit just began to come on me and talk to me about his presence. And what we really need, what all of you need, no matter what you think you need, what you really need is his presence. Right. It's in his presence that there's fullness of life. There's fullness of joy. It's within his presence that you come alive. You were created to live in the garden of his presence. Right. Eden wasn't Eden because they had beautiful fruit and talking animals and, and whatever. Eden was Eden because God's presence was there. That's what made it special. Some people want to go to heaven because they think they can see their aunts and uncles or walk on streets of gold and fish in the pearly sea. I don't know what you catch in the pearly sea, but maybe a pearly fish. I don't know. But they want to do these things. Listen, there's nothing about that that's wrong. But what makes heaven heaven is not the sea. It's not the land. What makes heaven heaven is the very presence of God. And right in the middle of that passage is this one little obscure line that we tend to read right over when we read it. He will come near you. I don't know about you. I need him to come near me. In fact, I cannot do what I do without him coming near me. I need him to come near me. We need him. Do you need him? We need him to come near 
us come near me. It's, it's the one thing that changes everything is the presence of God. The reason why you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, is because at some point you encountered the very tangible presence of God. And what happens so often is we create a religion around practices and principles and, and things that are not necessarily wrong. But when we create those apart from the presence of God, we lose everything. Yeah. And so now, if we're not careful, because this is what happens across America, we, 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 we have a church that loves community, but we don't have the presence of God. Yeah. We have a church that loves to sing the right worship songs that get us the right, that get us the right excited, but we're missing the presence of God. We, we, we have a church with friendly people, and I'm thankful for friendly people, but we miss the presence of God. In church, we have to make the main thing the main thing. It's literally one of our core values here at our church that God's presence is the most important thing, period. 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 Say it with me. God's presence, God's presence. is the most important thing, period. period. You got to understand what that means. Air condition is important. Mm-hmm. But it's not the most important thing. That's right. Buildings are important. People, the, the friendliness of people are important. Ministries, kids' ministry, youth ministry, seniors' ministry. Ministries are important, but they're not the most important thing. What's the most important thing? It's his presence. And the longer you follow Jesus, the more you will get entwined with systems and processes and things that are very good things, things that are important things, but they're not the most important things. And so what will happen is you will slowly veer away from him coming near you. And you end up with a, what would be referred to as a form of godliness, but denying its power. So you have a form of godliness. You look godly on the outside, but you actually have none of the power because the power comes from he will come near you. He will come near you. And I believe this is my personal belief. You don't have to believe this or not, but I believe there's a coming revival and it's been talked about and prophesied for a long time. And I was in my office and I was praying over this yesterday and processing this message and the Holy Spirit came on and I just really felt this and you can receive it if you want to, but every revival has a theme over the, the last hundred years or so, going back to Azusa Street and people baptizing the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, that was a theme. Uh, Pensacola, Brownsville was salvation, people getting saved in, in droves. And Toronto, the theme was healing and people were getting healed in droves. And, and I just had this overwhelming sense in my office, the next revival is the revival of God's presence. Where you walk in a room and God just shows up and floors you. Because you think you need a job, but you really need his presence. You think you need a spouse or a mate, or you think you need to fix this or fix this. What you really need is his presence. Because if you have his presence, all the other stuff will get fixed. He will come near you. He will come near you. So, 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 but, but, but in the middle of this, like Paul's talking about resisting temptation. He's teaching you and I in the early church how to resist that temptation. And right in the middle of it, he will come near you. I have learned this over the years. This is deep for some of you. <coughs> I've learned this over the years. You cannot be overwhelmed with the presence of God and overwhelmed with the other things at the same time. You cannot be tempted by the other things at the same time you are in God's presence. 
So one of the things you can do, or the, the essential thing you can do, the best thing you can do, the greatest thing you can do when you're struggling with temptation is not actually fight temptation. It's just get in God's presence. That you, you can actually practice the presence of God. Did you know that? Like if you've ever experienced God's presence, then you know what it feels like. God's presence is always there. You just may not be sensing it and knowing it. So find a place where you're alone. Find a place with less distractions and practice the feeling and knowing that God is with you because he is. And when you are overcome with that feeling of God's presence, you cannot be overcome with temptation at the same time. The temptation will be gone when you are overcome with he will come near. When you're overcome with the Holy Spirit, And it takes maturity to actually find yourself at the place that you're willing to surrender to God's presence when you really want to fall into the temptation because it's tempting because you want it. (laughs) So, so, so how do we do that? So how do we, how do we uh, resist temptation? How do we have this rise of the resistance? How do we resist temptation? We do it by his presence coming. But how do we create his presence? Well, well, James was very clear there. First of all, he says, submit, therefore, submit yourselves then to God. Sub- submit, submit. It's like submission. There is a mission and you're going to be subbed. You're going to be underneath the mission, the bigger picture mission. The bigger picture mission is to be like Christ. It's not just the great co-mission. That's a great one. It's not just love for your fellow man. That's a great one. But if you are like Christ, you will always have the other missions in place. So the great mission is actually becoming like Christ. And so when you submit, when you are sub under the mission of Christ, you are becoming like Christ because he is coming near. And when he comes near, you become like him. He doesn't become like you, for sure. He said, so submit yourselves, therefore, to God. But but, but we got to be careful because in America today, we want to have a half-hearted commitment. And there's no such thing as a half-commitment when it comes to Christ. You are either in or out. And I know know we love this lukewarm back and forth, riding the fence over here one day, over here one day, doing our thing here. We follow Christ until we don't like what it feels like to, to, or feel like we're missing out in the world. We follow Christ until we have that girlfriend. We follow Christ till we, till we have that finances. We follow Christ until something over here tempts us. And we end up riding a fence because we're only halfway submitted, or the other word that could be used there, surrendered. So, so, so we're only partially surrendered. But the problem is there's only two camps. And when there's only two camps, then there are rival camps. And you cannot be a fan of both the Florida State Seminoles and the Florida Gators. That ain't right. Anybody with half a brain knows that. If you're a fan of both those teams, all right, let me hit you where it really counts. You cannot be a Yankee fan and a Ray fan. Oh. People coming to the the Bucks-Giants game wearing a half Bucks jersey and a half Giants fan. What is that? Come on, man. Come on. What is that? So, so, So we want to be half-hearted over here a little bit, over here a little bit. I don't want to miss out on the God stuff, but I also don't want to miss out on the world stuff. So we end up in the middle of it. You know what it kind of looks like? Like when I, when I married Ada, we said these vows for better, for worse, for richer, or for poor. You're the one and only for me. And then what if like, what if like a month later, I'm like, yeah, you are the one and only for me, but I also like this one. And I want to bring this one along too. And I hope you don't mind. I'll call this my weekend girl. And when I go in Vegas, because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, except for all the diseases that come on with you. And so I got my Vegas, and I got the office, and I got, and all of a sudden what happens is our hearts become divided. 
or what Paul refers to in this passage and multiple times throughout the book of James, we become double-minded. Half over here, half over there. It's what Jesus would refer to in Revelation and say, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you'd just pick, just pick a side, but you can't be one or the other. And so we end, up, we end up half committed, and anything you submit yourself to begins to control you. And so we submit ourselves a little bit to God, but then a little bit to the world, and the world ends up controlling us, and this fight, this wrestle between two sides come together. And if you really want God to come near, then it starts with a place of submitting yourself over to him in the first place. Because whatever you, 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 whatever you submit yourself, you become a slave to. People in our day and age, they're like always like, I want to be free, freedom at all costs, free, free. Listen, no, you're never going to be free. You're, you're going to submit yourself to one kingdom or one, the other kingdom, but you will never fully be free. You'll be a slave to Christ or a slave to the enemy. But you'll never be free. Which leads to the next one. He said, he, said, uh, he said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I should have told you this. If you're taking notes, the first note was submit. Pastor Pete was really cool. He made everything go in the same letter. So the second movement is stand, if you're taking notes from, from that, <clears throat> which is very similar here. And so, so resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you resist the devil, you will come, he will come near you. If you submit, he will come near you. When you resist the devil, it's determining where you're going to stand. When I um, was early on in my salvation, this is one of the first verses I memorized, and I quoted a lot. Because let me tell you why. I worked at an insurance company, and um, at this insurance company, there was no, it was a huge floor of insurance agents and people, and there was no dress code, no dress code. Most of the people were young females, and the few guys that were there, a lot of them were gay. And so, like, I was, like, the cute, young, good-looking guy, and all the girls like to come by my desk and I know y'all can't see it now, but there was a time. And all the girls come by, and there was no dress code, so they would wear. And so I'm literally at my desk, I resist you, devil, and you must flee. I resist you, devil, and you, I resist you, devil, and you must, I resist. Y'all know, like, like, we teach our men in our church to bounce your eyes. You know, you're never going to not see something, but you cannot stare at it. Come on. And so you bounce your eyes. My God, my head was a basketball all day at work, man. I was bow, 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 bow. <laughs> I resist you, devil, and you must flee. I resist you, devil, and you must flee. I quoted this verse six million times, not usually to the person, but in my head sometimes, I, sometimes out loud. I resist you, and you must flee. I resist you, and you. That was my life verse when I first got saved, man, because I was fighting some temptation. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I know y'all are all holy, and y'all ain't never fought no temptation, and you you just been saved, and when you got saved, all I know you, but for me and the other four in this room, so I resist you, devil, and you must flee. And it would work, man, because you're quoting scripture. Quoting scripture is powerful. And so it would work. I resist you, and you must flee. And that, that temptation would be gone, like my, in me at least. It would be gone for, 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 for like 30 seconds. <laughs> and it come back. I resist you, you must flee. 30 seconds. And it come back. It's not, that, it's, not, it's not that it's wrong, but when you focus on what you are not going to do, you will always end up falling right back into that thing. The focus is not, I resist the devil and he must flee. The focus is, he will come near. He will come near. And when I'm resisting the devil, what I'm actually doing is choosing which place I'm going to stand. I'm choosing which side I'm going to be on. Because you will either resist the devil or you will resist the Holy Spirit. Now, this is different than 
a lot of messages I preach because I'm speaking directly to Christians this morning. But the Holy Spirit will prompt you. He will speak to you. He will give you nudges. He will give you desires. And you can resist the Holy Spirit. The devil will give you promptings and nudges and desires. And you can resist the devil. You better choose who you're going to resist because who you're going to resist will determine which side you're on. Are y'all with me? And I know we live in this American culture, which um, really wants to emphasize your identity because that's very important with this young generation coming up because they grew up without fathers. And so there's a a real identity crisis happening. And so in our effort to um, create identity in followers of Christ, sometimes we unintentionally teach them that they are amazing and they are awesome. And you are just the greatest thing since sliced bread. And Jesus loves you no matter what. And all which none of those are necessarily wrong but they create an identity that becomes prideful and about me. And so when we, all of a sudden we have a, a, a trinity and we're part of it. <laughs> all of a sudden we, we, we like think we're like gods ourselves. And what begins to happen is we, we, we think we have a side. You realize there are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of hell. There are only two kingdoms. Y'all remember uh, Joshua in the Old Testament? They were, they were quoting some of Joshua uh, with the walls of Jericho during their, their, their sermon snippets during worship. Those are good. I'm going to let Jeremy and you guys, y'all just come preach next week. Um, so they're, they're, they're preaching. But Joshua, Joshua, at one point, he's getting ready to attack the next city after Jericho. And, and he sees this, this angel with a flaming sword. <laughs> I'm like, I would like to be there. Like, what does that look like? The angel with a flaming sword. So Joshua runs up to the angel and Joshua says the obvious question. Hey, are you for me or for my enemies? Like, that's what I want to know, right? <laughs> angel with a flaming sword, I hope you're on my side. And I love, I love the angel's response. The angel's like, hey, dog, I ain't for either one of you. <laughs> I'm on the God side. <laughs> have you realized yet that you don't actually have a side? Right. There's, there's God's side and the enemy's side. There's not God's side, your side, and Jeremiah's side. Jeremiah, Jason's side. <laughs> there's not three sides. When we sing and talk about God is on our side, God's only on your side if you're on his side. You don't actually have a side. And Joshua's like, are you on my side or the enemy's side? And the angel's like, I ain't on either one. I'm on God's side. Which side is he on exactly? (laughs) Are you with me? Who you resist will determine which side you're standing on. Are Are you standing on God's side or the enemy's side? Which is movement number two right there is stand. Stand. So when we resist, the enemy begins to run. Not because... Now, now, get this, get this, it's so important. Not because your resistance is so strong. I feel like I should make another Star Wars reference right there. <laughs> resistance is, what, anyway. Not because your resistance is so strong. Not because the force is so strong with you. It's not. It's because now you are stepping into God's side because you're resisting the enemy. And the enemy doesn't like God. Right. And God is much greater than you are. <laughs> and you start stepping into God's side, the enemy starts fleeing, not because you are so great at resisting, but because God is so great, and you're stepping into God's camp, and God is fighting battles for you. It's not because you're so great at resisting. You can do that without God. You resist putting yourself in God's camp, and God is fighting the battles for you. So now you're standing on God's side. So so how do we do that practically? Uh, Rejecting all lies. Just real fast, these are some things that, that we had. Rejecting all lies. You know that lies of the enemy create strongholds in your life. Last October, we did a whole message series called Killing Spiders, all about the spiders that come in your life that create the webs. And so often, almost always, those are lies that you begin to believe that are not from 
God. So, so first you reject all the lies. Secondly, resourcing your weakness. What is your area of, of stronghold that keeps wanting to pull you back? What is your temptation? You need a resource for that. We typically call it accountability. You need somebody who is strong in that area who can be strong for you when you are not strong. If I break my legs, I'm not going to call another person with broken legs to help me walk out the room. That's what we do sometimes, though, right? Because birds of a feather flock together. So when we have one sin thing, one sin issue, we call everybody else with that same sin issue, get in a big circle and all talk about how horrible it is. Nobody's getting out of it. We, we just like all sitting, at least we're being honest, but that's it. Now, you find somebody who has got healed legs, who's not broken, who can carry you in that area and help you walk out. It's accountability. And so, so, so you need somebody who's resourcing your weakness. Uh, thirdly, reinforcing spiritual disciplines. Keep doing those spiritual disciplines. They make you stronger. Reading your Bible, prayer, seeking God's face, spending time in his presence, all those spiritual disciplines, fasting, so many of them, all those spiritual disciplines are powerful because they strengthen you. And then fourthly, reminding yourself and the enemies of God's word. And the enemy of God's word. Listen, the psalmist would say, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus' strategy for fighting temptation was quoting the Bible. And I think that's a pretty good strategy to use. Thus saith the Lord. And so reminding yourself and your enemies of God's word. So so what do we do next? How how do we, he will come near. How do we get near God? Number, Number three, the third movement, Pastor Pete called it scoot. I just said come near to God. Come near to God. Come near to God. What a, what a silly thing to say, first of all. <coughs> James is writing to Christians. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's the pastor of the world's biggest church in Jerusalem, and he's writing to Christians, and he says, hey, Christian, come near to God. Shouldn't that be obvious? Shouldn't that have already happened? Shouldn't you already come near to God whenever you got saved? Well, yeah, it should. And it has for many of us. But this is where it gets real personal across this room. We drift. I don't care how long you've been saved. I don't care how spiritual you are. We have a human tendency in the relationships of our life, including our spiritual relationship with God, to drift away from him. And sometimes you have to be reminded, hey, come back. Come near. Come near. Come, 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 just lay yourself at God's feet all over again. Come back and come near, because when you come near, he will come near. Come back and come near, because we drift, we drift. I know in ministry, like in full-time ministry, all we do is pray and read the Bible all day long. And fast, you can tell how much fasting we do. We fast, <laughs> we pray, we, that's all we do. But believe it or not, even in full-time ministry, you drift You wander away from God. You're not as close as you once were. We lose our first love. That's how Paul, or how Jesus would say to the church in Revelation. We we, we lose our first love and we drift. Listen, if you're married, you drift. You, You won't always feel that emotional high of love and how amazing the other person is. When life happens, you start to drift. So what do you do? You have to come back together. You gotta plan date nights. You got to plan times to to spend time together. You got to plan intimate conversations. You got to figure out the other person's love language and start speaking it. Aiden and I are snugglers, man. We just like to hold hands. We'll sit on the couch. We are. I made the kids move the other day just because I'm like I'm on vacation. I'm snuggling with my wife as we're watching this movie. I don't care if the kids are there or not. And so I made a move and I'm. We're snugglers because you got to make plans. When's the last time you had a date night with God? 
When's the last time you recognized, hey, I'm drifting a little. I'm not as close to God as I used to be. I need to plan a date night with God. God, Thursday at 7 o'clock, you and me are going to the movies in my mind and reading the Bible together. And you're going to show me what the Battle of Jericho really looked like because I want to see it. And your Holy Spirit can show me you were there. Let me see it. And I'm going to read the Bible. You're going to speak to me. God, we're going to spend some time together. Come near to God. Why? Because you drift. You drift. Here's the problem. If you've been saved very long, then you've learned enough Christianese to act the part even when you drift. And you can drift without anybody on the outside knowing that you're drifting. So, so, so you can actually be quite a ways away from God, but nobody knows it. Because you know how to talk the part, look the part, do the right things, say the right things. You know how to fit in with the Christian group. And the truth is a whole bunch of us already drifted anyway, so, so we're all just acting the part. And they, they have a word for that. You know what the word is? It's called religion. And you don't actually have a relationship anymore because you've drifted so far, but you have a, a form of godliness but denying its power. The power is the presence of God. And so you have a form. It looks the part. But, but, but we've, what we've lost, what actually matters the presence. Here's a, here's a hard saying. You are as close to God as you're choosing to be. Because James says when you take steps towards God, he automatically takes steps towards you. And if when you stop taking steps towards God, that's when he's not taking the steps towards you. You are as close to God as you choose to be at any time. Come near to God because he will come near you scoot, scoot over, close the gap between you and God. And then he says this, verse eight, the second half of verse eight and verse nine. This is where it gets serious. This is where it gets intense. He goes from being really nice, James, to saying this, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. If we're honest, there's a lot of us that are double-minded. I've already described that. So he's talking to us. He says this, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Yay! That's awesome. Movement number four that Pastor Pete put down was scrub. <laughs> well, what is, he, what is he talking about right here? He's talking about learning how to cleanse yourself. When COVID hit, man, we were cleansing everything. Y'all, people washing your hands for the first time ever. People washing their hands. We were told to wash our hands for the length of a song. And uh, my favorite meme that came out during that time was this meme right here, the dishpan hands. And it says, when the CDC recommends washing your hands for the length of a song, but you're Pentecostal. <laughs> man, us Pentecostals, man, we can sing for like 25 minutes one song, man. It just keeps flowing and flowing. And like, man, we don't never get done washing our hands. By the time you're done washing your hands, you got to go back to the bathroom again and it starts all over. And so we know all about cleansing ourselves. And here's what I want you to see. We have to come to this place of repentance where we're cleansing ourselves, cleansing our hands and our hearts and our minds. This place of, of cleansing. Here's what's not popular to talk about because it sounds religious, but it's really not. Jesus saves you and you are healed from the inside out. You are cleansed from the inside out. But you then will have to choose how to stay in that freedom without putting yourself back into bondage. This is not clothesline preaching. It's not what would be referred to that kind of thing. This is just, listen, God saved me, so I'm not going to walk right into bondage. There's things I used to do that I'm not doing anymore. Right. And, and how does he word it right here? He says, he says uh, 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 
Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Listen, there's a part that's yours to play in this. You, you can't watch everything you used to watch. You can't listen to everything you used to listen to. You can't go to every place you used to go to. Just because you used to go there and it used to be fine for you, you, you can't go every. There's a part of it that's yours in the sanctification process to say, I'm just not going to do this or that any longer. So you cleanse, not the Holy Spirit cleansing you, you're cleansing yourself, your hands, your hearts, your minds, and your minds are the hardest ones because nobody knows what you're thinking but you. And nobody knows that these thoughts are flowing around in your head. And he said, no, you got to cleanse those. You got to cleanse those. The Holy Spirit will help you for sure, but you have to do the work. You, you can't cleanse the mind when you keep putting this stuff in front of your eyes. Right. So cleanse, cleanse the mind. <clears throat> That's the word scrub right there if I didn't already say that. And so there's certain things we don't do. There's certain movies we don't watch, certain things we don't do. I, I remember um, <coughs> years ago I was at a, my best friend's house, and Matt Waldrop, who was here in the first service, uh, was there. He, he laughed during this story. And uh, his, his name was Bruce Doan, a mighty man of God, one of the, my, my personal spiritual fathers, the man who was there when I gave my life to Christ, had the biggest impact on me as a young man. And uh, we were at Bruce's house with his son David, who was my best friend, and, and uh, we're watching a movie. And uh, Bruce was, like, really strict, man. He had, he had a lot of rules. Like, he wouldn't go to a restaurant if they had a bar in the restaurant. So, like, Beef O'Brady's or something, he wouldn't go. And Bruce was really strict, had a lot of rules. And um, uh, we were watching a movie, and it's late, and we thought Bruce had gone to bed. <clears throat> and so, some of y'all will remember this. There's a movie called The Crow with uh, Bruce Lee's son, Brandon Lee. Somebody's like, is it a good movie? I don't know, because I'm going to tell you what happened in the story. <laughs> so, we start watching this movie, and I don't know if it's bad or not, but it was really dark. It was, like, you know, very kind of dark-ish looking movie. And it's, and it's dark, right? And, um, and um, I guess it's late. It's like midnight or something. We're watching this movie. All the lights are in the house on. The only light on was in the TV. We're like leaning over. We're like laying on the floor with pillows or whatever, like watching this in this movie, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like we're in this movie. Out of nowhere, Bruce walks by. He must have got up to go to the bathroom or something. I don't know. Out of nowhere, he walks by and he just hits the power button because this is before remotes. He, he, he just hits the power button. And he goes, turn it off. And never even missed a step. Just kept walking. <laughs> turn it off. Just walks out of the room. So it goes from like the only light was the TV to complete darkness. And all of us boys are like, uh, what just happened? <laughs> Listen, I don't care if you're in the middle of the episode. I don't care where. Turn it off. There are some things that just aren't fitting for you anymore. And we're wondering why we can't get closer to God, why he will not come near. But the fact is we won't get rid of the stuff that we're putting in front of our eyes or our ears or our minds. And I know this isn't popular anymore, but just because it's a popular movie doesn't mean it needs to be popular for you. It might be fine for somebody else. It might not be fine for you, but nobody knows that but you and your mind. What are your convictions? Because the problem comes nowadays that we just simply lose all convictions. What is the Holy Spirit dealing with you about? Because he will come near. But it takes cleansing on our side, too. It takes living a holy and a righteous life on our side, too. And then he says, he says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Everybody's inspirational verse for tomorrow morning. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. <laughs> yeah. Repent. Repent. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, change your attitude and repent Repent, grieve, mourn, and wail. Listen, there's a time 
to sing of the joy of the Lord. There's a time to sing of the victory of the Lord. There's a time, but there's also a time. Don't lose the time if you really want to experience him coming near. Don't lose the time of repentance in his presence where you're crying out to God because you are undone because of his presence. When you get into the significant presence of God, you will find out how unholy you are. And you will either deal with that unholiness in repentance or you will walk the other way. It is up to you. You make that choice. I make that choice. So we repent. And it's crazy how he words it because he says, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I thought the gospel was supposed to do the opposite. I thought the gospel was supposed to change our gloom into joy and our mourning into laughter. But he says, no, change your laughter into mourning and your joy into gloom. You know why he says that? Because laughter and false joy can be a facade to what's really going on inside of us. When we don't know how to react or don't know how to respond, what do we do? We, <laughs> when, when, when we're put into a place of repentance and God calls us on something, we're like, <laughs> okay, God, yeah, okay. Because laughter becomes this false narrative in our life that's not real to deal with what God's dealing with us. That's why so many times you, you see the, the funniest people that make you laugh the most commit suicide. And you're like, how did that happen? It's because the laughter was just an outward expression that's hiding an inward pain. Listen, stop faking your laughter and faking your joy so you can fit in with a crowd and find yourself at a place of deep repentance and mourning and wailing before God and saying, no, I am undone in your presence. When's the last time you were undone in his presence. I don't think you should live there. I don't think you should stay in wailing and mourning all the time. You would be a horrible person to live with. <laughs> What's the, There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. Dude stays in mourning the whole book. You're like, oh my gosh, would you find something right with the world? <laughs> Jeremiah lamenting the whole time. But there are moments and sometimes it's been too long since we found ourselves in that real place of repentance where we're grieving and mourning before God. And we're not putting on a fake smile and a fake laugh and a fake joy, but saying, God, I am undone because of your presence. And when you do that, when you repent, he will come near. He will come near. Which leads to the very last one. Verse 10, he said, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That tells me that the greatest way up is actually to go down. You can build yourself up and God will end up humbling you or you can humble yourself and God will end up lifting you up. But it starts at this place of humility and God will come near you when you walk humbly before him. When you are full of pride and full of yourself and full of your ego and full of all that we are, all of a sudden he's not coming near us because we're not really wanting him. We're not really needing him. But when we find ourselves in a place of humility, he comes near us. He comes near us. You need God's presence. You need God's presence. You need God's presence. The best way up is down. You need God's presence. So how do we resist temptation? How do we have the rise of the resistance against that first order of, of our evil nature? How do we resist temptation? You soak yourself in God's presence. 
You give yourself to God's presence. You cry out to God and spend time in God's very presence because when you're in his presence, you can't have the temptation. And to one degree or another, you can live to learn to live in God's presence. You can learn to live that when that temptation comes, you stop and surrender all over again and humble yourself or repent or cleanse yourself if it's a temptation you're putting in front of yourself or come near to God, just spend some time with him in worship, submitting yourself, resisting the devil, choosing which side you're gonna stand on. He will come near. And I don't know about you, but that's my heart's cry, not just for me, but for our church, for our region, that God would come near Right in the middle of this passage of temptation are these six things. He will come near if you submit to him. He will come near if you resist the enemy and lean into him and choose which side you're going to stand on. He will come near if you start coming near him. He will come near if you start cleansing yourself, choosing to walk in his ways. He will come near if you repent. He will come near if you humble yourself. And here's the thing, wherever he stopped coming near is probably where you are on that list. Maybe you started to submit yourself. Maybe you started to resist the enemy. But five years into your relationship with Christ, 20 years in, if you're honest, you've drifted away and you're not doing the things you were once doing. Once again, that's what Jesus said to the church in Revelation. Go back to your first love. Do the things you did at first. So how do you resist temptation? It's not about I resist you devil and you must flee. I resist you devil and you must flee. I resist you devil and you must flee. It's not that that's wrong. It's incomplete. It's God's presence. That when you are in it, temptations vanish. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myarisechurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time.